0: Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran.
1: Good morning, welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Today on this Monday morning edition, I have the gift of Father Kurt Nagel, the pastor of St. Monica on Mercer Island and Sacred Heart in Bellevue, joining me today. Good morning, Father Nagel.
0: Good morning, Tom.
1: So, Father Nagel, today our theme is talk about Father Lewis. Oh, that's great. Actually, today we have uh, some high stakes communication folks oh, wow. you're going to hear some pastoral counseling happening live as father nagel gives me wisdom and guidance as we engage in a really uh, let's call it a high stakes dialogue about life and death and the end of life wow as uh, as father nagel shared with me some of his insights into how do you help your loved one in this instance a, a, a parent peacefully come to their final end and uh, moving through death to God. are you excited about that Father Nagel? Wow,
0: wow. yeah I'm
1: <laughs> high stakes communication yes. here we go back in a minute with Sound Insight Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in Welcome back to the program this is tom kern i'm with father nagel and father nagel is going to lead us with the scripture and a prayer and i think his prayer is going to be pretty like authentic and crying out to god for insight and anointing <laughs> what do you think father nagel uh,
0: god's, god god's got this
1: god's got this i love that that is perfect
0: <laughs> all right we we're going to begin with a reading from romans 12 12 uh, 2. do not conform yourself to this age but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Lord, we do ask you to bless us that we might not conform our minds, souls to this world, but that we might be mindful that we're members of the body of Christ, members of the kingdom. So bless this time we share with those who you've decided and prompted to listen, that we might truly be your messengers and good servants, we ask through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you. Well, Father Nagel, uh, I, I want to start with a a great uh, like story of what just happened a few minutes ago. But when I mentioned high stakes communication and there's a lot at stake, and looking to Father Nagel for some guidance, it what it has to do, Father, is with the fact that my dad is very close to the end of his life. A mm-hmm. week ago, when I recorded this program with Father Lewis there was a chance that on Monday that he and it's now a week later and he's closer to death, but has not yet. um, He's not yet like from the signs that you see, he's not imminently like in bed and physically diminishing where it's like, he's going to die today. Uh Um, But there are, are many medical signs that he is going to die likely in the next handful of days. But who knows it could extend on a bit longer. So we're in a bit of a complicated, well boy, that's a too easy of a word. Um, we're in a um, we're in a situation that involves a lot of high stakes communication around issues of life and death, proper medical care. What do you do when you have disagreements among siblings about how to care for them? How do you navigate sort of brokennesses that show up? with regards to the proper way of moving forward in circumstances like this, and I'm guessing that in your many years of priestly ministry and pastoral counseling and accompanying people as they approach death, that you have some insight and wisdom to offer. So I'm going to share with you, and I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to talk about the things that, that we've done well and badly, and see if you offer some insight to us, because as I literally sit here recording this program, this is a A high pressure, high stakes moment in my family, my family's life, and I would honestly, sincerely love to benefit from your wisdom. And I'm willing to do this live with you, because after last week's program, I got a lot of feedback from listeners who were saying to me, "Thank you for being so honest. Thank you for being so uh, transparent about what's happening in your family situation, because this is not." something that is uncommon Mm -hmm. this is this not like oh we're the only ones that are going to face the situation with a father or a mother with diminishing health and they're approaching death and how do you deal with it among many siblings yeah that's kind of the default setting of what's going to happen in families lives but how often do we get a chance to talk about this
0: right yeah you're right this is it's you know, death happens to us all, so it is something that everybody faces. I I agree. So I I'd, I'd be interested and in, certainly more than willing to to speak about it with you. Um, that being said, there's it's not going to be any perfect answers, but I I'd be interested in to hear what your family's situation is and your dad.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that. And again, um, folks, Father Nagel has had a full week of time to prepare for this. He's been <laughs> praying and thinking and written. No, that is not true. So um, let's let's start with the fact that that this is like one of the living moments of encounter and contact that Father Nagel is having with circumstances like this in, with mine, and it's all happening on the radio, folks. So um, I hope that this is a gift to you. You're going to want to bookmark the program. Let it be a gift to you because I'm going to get and share about things that you're probably not going to have easily talked about In other settings, so learn from our my experience and Father Nagel's wisdom and uh, the dialogue that we have right now. So, Father Nagel, um, do you remember Andrew Greeley? I do. I do. Okay. He was. He was what a Jesuit, I think.
0: No, he was a Chicago priest.
1: Oh, Chicago priest. Okay, and he was probably best known for his fiction writing, novels. His novels, and one of his novels, and I don't remember the name of it. I it might have been. Um, like are you listening, God? or something like that. Um, he wrote a book about a computer programmer who programmed a world and the characters in this world like gained consciousness. Mm. And it was his he was watching them interact, and he was trying to find a way to like answer their questions and give them guidance and offer them some help. Like all of that sort of stuff, and um, I didn't read the novel. I only heard about the like the plot, and I thought that that was a really fascinating, um, like, uh, uh, approach to say, is this like God who is like watching over us, who is trying to like get in and speak to us to offer us guidance and, and wisdom. And it reminded me of what happened just before our program. <laughs> what happened just before our program, Father Nagel?
0: Well, I'm in the studio over at uh, Sacred Heart Radio in Kirkland, Washington, with Ron Belter, the president, and we connect with Tom, who is over there in Eastern Washington. And we nothing we knew he was coming on at you know this of hour, but we couldn't. He wasn't there, and so we just assumed that he was still doing whatever important pastoral work he was up to, but i wondering, where's Tom? Where's Tom? And so apparently, Tom, you were, trying, you were listening to us. We couldn't hear you, but you could hear us. And you were trying to get through and you tried to call me, but my phone's in my truck. And so there was just a helpless sense of frustration, I suspect, on your part. And we were just talking, bad-mouthing you and putting you down as being <laughs> a late comer and just really very pretty irresponsible. And that's like what we always do.
1: Yeah, that's so funny. Well, and, and it's not only did I—I I mean, calling you was my last resort, Father Nagel. All right, not <laughs> I'm that I'm surprised that you even
0: last. thought about that.
1: Yeah. Well, I well, what happened was I normally would just call Ron and he'd pick right up and and then we'd go from there. But because I could hear you guys. Um, when I called, I didn't hear his phone ringer go off, which I normally would have. And then he'd pick right up. So it didn't. I'm like, okay, what is going on? So I called again and again and again because <laughs> insanity says I should try the same thing and expect a different outcome. <laughs> so that stopped working. So I called the main number of Sacred Heart Radio and that went right to voicemail. So I'm like, okay, Ron has silenced the main <laughs> studio number. He, his phone is uh, somehow silenced. So I'm like, okay, let me try to, I was about to text him and I'm like, wait a minute, I've got Father Nagel's cell phone. Let me call that. That didn't work. So I was about to text him and, um, and then he went, you, you know what happened? What, what? You said, Hey, go look this up about this book or something like that. Where's your phone? Uh-huh. You know? And then yes, he, yeah. he went and got his phone. He said, Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Thomas, I've I've like 17 missed calls from Tom and it's like, Okay. Let me call. So then ta- I, we actually connected, and then now here we are. And <clears throat> the experience was, kind of like Andrew Greeley's character in that novel, I felt so powerless because here I am. I'm present to you. I'm hearing what's going on. I'm available. I, I'm, I'm I'm actually speaking to you, but you're not hearing. Yeah. And it just feels like that that is... It's probably a pretty meaningful like analogy for a lot of our lives right. regarding God communicating to us. Uh, what would you say to that?
0: I'm sure that's yeah. true, and I also think it's gonna be. I was thinking also just the souls, the, the the people who love you in heaven, who are trying to intercede for you and trying to also make contact. So it's all it's one big picture, I suppose. Um, uh, but that idea that. Um, Kind of like the invisible person who can see you and trying to in, in praying it's good for you, but um, it's a one it's a one way mirror, right? And or two way mirrors, whatever you call that. So I I, I do think sometimes that must be the the idea. I don't get think God gets frustrated per se, if theologically speaking, <laughs> but nevertheless the idea that um, you know I, I'm speaking and calling out and I'm there. I'm I'm always there, and I'm always there looking watching. Hoping for you and trying to communicate, if you would only go over to the other side of the room and pick up your phone.
1: You know, Father Nagel, that, like, for folks to hear this, to have confidence that God is always not only watching, but sees, like Exodus 3, the burning bush. You know, I've heard the cries of complaint, I've seen their sufferings, and I've come to do something about it. In this instance, sending Moses, or you know, Revelation 3, Jesus standing at the door and
0: knocking, knocking. yes.
1: And whoever hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. It's like we could build out a whole program just on that idea well, of, go ahead.
0: There's, you know, if I was going to, I did say this to, to Ron, actually. Another piece of an analogy here is keep your phone on your person. In other words, keep praying be, cons- be, be in the presence of God and be open to him as opposed to putting him aside and checking in once in a day or something. Now, I'm not a big phone person. You know that, Tom. So the idea of having your smartphone in your pocket is kind of, it rubs me the wrong way. But if this, hey, this I is... I
1: just like the idea that I'm God in that scenario. <laughs> That's really
0: cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry. Close, keep
0: problem. close to the contact. You know, how are you going to communicate? If, you, if you're never... Uh, the instrument of communication is prayer, and if you don't, if you don't constantly in contact with that and using that, then you know, God's trying to reach you all the time. But if you only check in once every X a number of hours, days, years, um, you're going to have a lot of mixed calls from God.
1: Well, okay, Father, you're going to probably like this one, and let you kind of wax eloquently on it. Is John of the Cross? Uh, I was reading the beginning of the ascent of Mount Carmel again. Because it just is so humbling. Holy goodness, it's so humbling. Um, where he talks about, you know, uh, in a in a dark night, fired by love's urgent longings, I left you know mm. my, my room, um, and he's saying that he's talking at the beginning about the purgative. What? Yeah, the purgative way, where it's about being detached. It's dying to these detachments that uh, of these appetites and of the senses and he he says in there with such like strong words and amazing like m- multiple levels of insight the damage that comes from any attachment to a creature or a creaturely good mm-hmm. a, a created good and one of the one of his uh, uh one of the 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 defects that come from an attachment to a good is that you have a diminished or um, an inability to hear from God Mm -hmm. because you're, you're attached to the creature. And so now that's where your focus is. And so you're not able to get clean, clear communication from God. Do you remember that part? Do you remember that Uh, kind of aspect of John of the Cross's works? What would you say about that?
0: As you say, it's humbling in the sense of I, I, and I think we will definitely underestimate, because he goes on later in this whole book, the idea that you could even be attached by a thread to something and you still can't fly. Um, a little bird could, you know, back in those days, um, again, if you had a little bird as a pet, you would put a little thread to its, tie its little sparrow or canary or something. You you tie a, a thread to its leg and, and to a, some sort of perch. And the, the idea of, um, to get, we, we think that to detach from things and, to, and, and worldly pleasures, or I would just say kind of obsessions and um, addictions, and in, in big or small ways, that it, it deafens us to God's voice in in to the extent that it becomes our number one, or even something that we're putting before God, or something that we can't say no to. I do think that the idea of clearing that off is so crucial, but it's also again, it's, it's hard to hard for us, I think, to really think that what what would my life be like without those things? Um, right now, those are what give me my pleasure, and those are what give me my meaning. If I were to get rid of those, my life would be worse, and God would say no, one because I would be able to substitute for them. And I, this is this is your happiness. So to to believe that to get rid of these things, uh, to and again, sometimes it's not even to get rid of them. Sometimes it's simply to use them in a detached way, um, that we're not controlled by them, they don't drive us or own us, then that that's actually gonna be make me happier. And we just don't believe it because we've never tried it and we, and we are so connected and so owned, um, chained to these, whatever it is, whatever sense experiences they are.
1: All right, so Father, uh, great insights, thank you. I, so, when we look at John of the Cross and other great saints in, in our tradition, and even the scriptures about uh, how do we diminish these attachments that make it more difficult to hear God's voice, to hear it clearly, to hear God's voice in all circumstances, to recognize what He's desiring from us, do you have um, any? Uh, what 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 have you found to be hopeful in diminishing the impact of those attachments in order to create that greater capacity to hear God.
0: Well, and and John lays this out, and I can't remember the exact words, and and I don't think it's rocket science, and and that's the problem. It's not a secret. It's just, a first off, to be able to identify honestly what I am attached to. And it might be a TV show that I can never miss. It might be a sort of food that I, it might be some sort of little habit that I have. It might be a person that I've put in the place of God. It can be all sorts of things, whether it's my, my portfolio, whether it's you know, numbers in my portfolio, whether it's positions in my workplace that I aspire to. It, it runs the gamut of what these attachments are. And the whole point is to, he would say, Always go, always tend towards, you say, actually. Not always go, but always tend to the thing that you would, are least attracted to. Or, again, that whole, whole idea of you're going to have to go against those desires. So if you know you go to a restaurant. It's fleshly desires. Yeah. yeah sometimes or fleshly, even natural
1: goods, right? You right. Know, natural goods uh, that are preferred to God.
0: You're going to a restaurant and you love beef stroganoff. It's on the menu. And you say, you know, Lord, I'm just not going to order it. I have the money, too. I could. Nobody's going to know this. But I'm, I'm going to go with the chicken pot pie instead because I don't really like that. You know, it, that's something you just offer to God. And you're going against your attachment that's saying, you know, I, I I crave that beef stroganoff. On the other hand, he, say, he he's saying beef stroganoff's not bad. He says, if you get invited to a parishioner's house, say for me, and I sit down, and they just bring out brief stroganoff. I can say, well, thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to say no, because I like it too much. I'm going to eat it and say, Lord, thank you for the pleasure of this beef stroganoff. It's not an attachment at that point. It's simply you're giving praise to God for the good things of the earth. It's when I make sure that they ask me, is there anything you want to eat? I say, oh yeah, there's only one thing I want. It's beef stroganoff. Um, so again, that attachment could be to anything big or small, but it lies in the will that I want it to the extent that um, it's you know my will is is held by that as opposed to again I'm not I'm not speaking about myself because I haven't I haven't mastered this at all but the idea is no my will is always to God's will Thy will be done and as long as then I'm free it's whatever God wants I I want what He wants and what happens to me is going to be what He wants.
1: That's very that's very Augustinian. (laughs) All right, we're up against a break, Father. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about water fasting and just fasting in general as a way of diminishing the attachment to the flesh. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho. Welcome back to the program. I think Father Nagel is probably happy that we haven't moved into the more high-stakes communication issue here. But whatever God wills. Whatever <laughs> but I feel like we're on a run here. And I want to ask you about, okay, this idea. Okay, folks, listen to this. You want to hear God's voice more. What active steps are you taking? Right. So there's the active purgation right. and then the passive yeah. purgation, right? So this uh the, this this is the path of how we uh, move forward in in sort of the St. John and St. Teresa of Avila, their approach to, to spiritual growth. So, um, so Father, you, you've mentioned the idea of denying self. Mm-hmm. So that's an aspect of spiritual training or asceticism. There's also mortification, the dying to self. And I think that um, fasting and water fasting can, um, can play a big role in this. Um, and, and I just want to know, have you ever had any experience of this? Because I'm actually, I'll just say it out loud, folks, pray for me. I'm on a water fast right now, and uh, as a result of a guest I had on last Friday, and, and I'll tell you more about it, Father, but I'd love to hear, first of all, have you had any experience of that or of an extended fast at all?
0: Well, it depends. I'll just answer the question by, by asking the question. I, I'm exactly, is water fasting, by that you mean simply I'll, I'll not eat, drink anything but water for a set time?
1: Yeah, so I'm um, I'm just drinking water, and the only thing that I have other than water is coffee.
0: And how long does that can does that go on?
1: So when I, the guest that I had on uh-huh. did it for forty days.
0: Oh my goodness! No, I've never done that. I've <laughs> I've never. So never.
1: that's what I'm on. I'm on the track to do that. So I'm on day five right now.
0: Wow! No, I've not the extended fast. You know, when I when you're and you're talking about fasting in terms of actually not consume anything but water so you're not simply saying like the I'm uh, with jesus in the desert yeah uh, not the lenten fast of no. you know coming down right. the only thing the only thing that i even comparable and it would just be for 24 hours would be the carthusians one meal a day and so you would fast for most of the day in the sense of you'd have a meal at noon and you could drink you know what you wanted as water certainly um and I remember that summer when that was happening. And so I went there for a summer. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, it, I suspect, when you're on the water fast, like, as you are, you go through different phases where, in terms of the hunger and what it means and what, how you feel it. And the, the thing about one, one meal a day is you never really broke through in a sense that you never were eating. And so you were hungry by the next, you know, by the time the, the, let's put it this way. Receiving the Eucharist, I could smell the Eucharist in that morning's mass because it was bread, and and that was something that my senses were so tuned to it that I said, "Wow, that's I can actually, I'm actually, I'm actually looking at this host as a piece of bread, not not theologically or faithwise, but but just in terms of the senses, because again, I was, I was hungry, so that was I think that's the longest I've ever gone in terms of you know. Nothing at all. I, I haven't really done the water diet at all.
1: Yeah, and folks, I'm not recommending that anyone who has any medical condition at all that you dive into something like this. It definitely has to be discerned. and It has to be a sense of, um, uh, you know, human wisdom and God's grace. So, uh, so I'm not saying, hey, just jump off the high board. Um, but uh, the idea of it bearing fruit is... Um, it, it's really amazing, right, that people say once once you kind of get the hunger for food out of your system, all of a sudden, like I barely, I'm, I'm sleeping just a handful of hours a night now. Um, I just don't have, I, I, I didn't realize how much tiredness was connected to eating um, in terms of being awake and alert and aware. And then um, the idea of praying, uh, it, it's so much easier. I flow right into time of prayer because i'm up more and i've got more energy and i've got more focus Mm -hmm. and so uh, and and i'm doing these fasts like i'm fasting for my dad right so my dad who's dying Mm -hmm. i'm fasting for him to have a happy and prepared death um so that and and so that's one way i'm spiritually attempting to help provide uh provide and protect and, and guide um my dad and and my siblings around these critical moments but i've also welcomed in other like important family and other connected intentions um so it gives it a missionary meaning it's not just oh i want to lose weight or i want to look better or or whatever it, right. it, it, it you know there's that human component but it's definitely connected to identity and purpose or vision and mission or who i am before god and what god has called me to do so those are the principal drivers of why I would do this at all.
0: Wow. I I think that, again, the 40 days, um, Jesus in the desert, um, I think that's, there's your role model right there.
1: Yeah, amen. Well, and and I tried to make it meaningful, like on the calendar. So the day I started, 40 days later, is September 8th. Uh, So I'm offering it to the Blessed Mother as a birthday gift, so that uh, any good that can come from that, she would be you know, finding useful for whatever intercessory Mm -hmm. intentions that she has in her heart. So, you know, I I love that idea. Giving the Blessed Mother a birthday gift? Yeah. That that sounds pretty cool to me. Yes. So, okay. Well, Father, anything, uh, I I know I kind of shared my experience of fasting, but would you say that, like in addition to making those acts of the will that deny self, that fasting has been useful and fruitful in your life to help bring about that detachment that John of the Cross and Teresa Vavala talk about?
0: I think there's a, I, I think you make a good distinction here, actually, um, because I do think that there's fasting in my life, though, again, not, I haven't really tried the, the water fast, but um, fasting, you know, again, certain days of the week, for instance, and, and then I do think that that trains, so to speak, my will, so I think there's that element in my own spiritual life. But I'd also agree that those fasts can't and, and have been they're offered for, for, uh, for people, uh, for my parish, these sorts of things. So I, I do see fasting in of itself as something that's that's uh, a prayer in the sense of it's petitionary and it's something that's a, a grace that that you can offer for other uh, intentions. So I, I both of those things are workable at the same time, and I, at least for me. Um, i've experienced and and you use those both although again not the 40 day water fast or anything approaching that but i think those two those two things detachment but also intercession
1: yeah i love that that's a i like that distinction because um, when i think about and this is this applies believe it you know this applies in strategic planning with corporations as well as in individual life which is you have your current reality where you're at And then you have this vision of where you feel called to go or where you must be if you're going to be true to your deepest self and your highest ideals. Mm -hmm. And that distance that exists between where you're at and where you're called to be, that's the path you're asked to take. And so you have to find the right strategy or the right path to take to get there. And in developing a strategy, you have to identify both what are the assets you have and how do you strengthen them to move you forward. And then what are the obstacles that you'll face and how do you remove them or get around them? Mm-hmm. And so fasting, I was principally looking at as a means of removing the obstacles right. to be able to get from where I'm at to where I'm going. But you bring up a really like powerful and important point that fasting is also an asset that right. if you look at the scriptures, driving out demons, prayer and fasting. Yes. And so there's definitely a like deeper fruitfulness to um, accomplishing missionary purposes or that deeper sense of leveraging this asset of fasting to get to where um, I feel like I'm called to go. So I love that. That's a great insight. Thank you. So, Father Nagel, um, let's, let's, start, anything else you want to say about um, sort of detachment? I know we talked a bit about denying self and we talked about fasting, but just in terms of, again, folks that are listening, they want to hear from God and they often don't know what to do. And so they can say, I'm praying, but it's kind of like me uh, connected to you. It's like God's not getting through. I feel like there's a blockage there. Any other insights you'd want to offer before we move on to the next topic?
0: I guess more of a witness, really. I I do think, I just think from my own experience that when I'm fasting, which include that means I'm detaching from these, I'm, I'm making the effort to detach from my own will. And it's usually a disordered will, right? It's something I want too much of, too soon, et cetera. That I do know that my spiritual life picks up. You can in you know count the ways, um, but it, it, you get more sensitive to God. Prayer is easier um, because again the body can be. And I think you're realizing this in terms of your own fast time. The body can be a an attractor or a channel to the divine, or it can also be an obstacle or a block in terms of how how it's used um, as a conduit or not. And so I do. I again, just just from practical experience, I do believe that fasting in of itself um, imp- just improves one's uh, ability to communicate with God or to receive His communications. I just think so that's wanna, a fact.
1: Well, I want to read this to you. This is from Second Corinthians chapter six, uh, verse one, and this was the uh, office of reading scripture from last Saturday, and Saint Paul is talking about. Um, what he was doing to live his mission <clears throat> in the moment. And he says, on the contrary, in all that we do, we strive to present ourselves as ministers of God, acting with patient, patient endurance. Now, listen, listen to this lineup. Amid trials, difficulties, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, and riots, as men familiar with hard work, sleepless nights, and fast, fastings. Okay jumped out at me last Saturday. Last Saturday was my preparation day for my water fast launching. So it's day zero. And um, what jumped out at me when I read this was like, my goodness, St. Paul's experience of fasting is completely the opposite of mine. Mm -hmm. Why? He identifies all these difficulties and challenges, all these like hard things, all of the stuff that he's doing. And then he adds in fastings. He doesn't say, I was hungry. He said he took an active stance to fast in the midst of all of those things. Now, you know why That's the opposite of me. When I experience all those hard things, what do I do?
0: Chomp, chomp, chomp. Go to the snack bar.
1: Amen. (laughs) I give myself all of this permission to say (laughs) I'm getting like tremendous stress, pressure, anxiety, and a bit overwhelmed by life circumstances. So I have every right reason to find comfort and solace in that big bowl of popcorn and in eating any food i want to counterbalance the the challenges that are there, that are there spiritually and st paul was like yeah tom you you absolutely have got it backwards in the midst of all of that fast fast and and that will be like something that will be an aid to you as you go forward i just found that so striking
0: <laughs> Well, that's a good insight. Uh, just in terms of the, 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 I think lots of us could could relate to the idea of p- giving one's permission. Um, I'm doing so much, Lord, that I, just for this little strengthening, I'll take another cookie. Um, and so I, it's probably convicting for lots of us, including me.
1: Yeah. I was listening. So I've been listening to like audiobooks and talks on fasting, right? So sometimes it's like human, medically based, sometimes it's Christian based. And I gotta tell you, it's so fascinating. Christians, non Catholics, they because they lack a spirituality of sanctification, they really don't understand fasting right. in the inside. Because they have to somehow say it's not a work, because right. you know, we are we are it's all grace, it's all grace. And and the guy was just he was kind of stumbling around a bit, trying to identify the fact that. Fasting is is this work as you know, St. Paul says at the beginning of Second Corinthians six, as your fellow workers, we beg you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So there's this idea that grace makes you work, grace makes you move.
0: Right. And
1: somehow there was this distinction. But the the more important point was he was saying that he was asked the question during the QA section, do you only fast when God like calls you, anoints you, and gives you this special grace to just say, I feel like I can just fly now versus can you put yourself forward before God and say, Lord, I'm going to make the determined effort to fast. And I'm going to ask, Lord, that you use this, that I have permission to press in with fasting and um, not just have to wait for this clean, clear, profound, divine inspiration. And he's like, that was his point. His point was, no, no. no Fasting is available to you, just like right. deeper spiritual reading or deeper prayer. Yes. It's on you. You can push forward. God's given you a wide road of permission to push harder, to, to be more determined, to make more of an effort. What do you think of that?
0: Well, I agree. I think that's perfectly true that this is on us to determine. Um, I think this is always discernment um, in terms of, but it's not like I have to, this is a special, unique, or rare thing. But it's it's and it's just a, it's a, a gift given by God to say you know I can't fast without that, that green light as opposed to simply saying this as you say this is one of the practices spiritual practices how do I want to use it um, and God's part of that discernment in some ways but it's not that you, you expect it most of the time not but but if there's if I get a bolt of lightning from above then yeah I'll fast.
1: Awesome, thank you. Well, Father Nagel, we're up against our, our next break. When we come back, we will shift our uh, our conversation to talk about a bit about providing some like live counsel around around um, dealing with death and a loved one who's dying. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnum with Father Kurt Nagel and. Um, We're now shifting our conversation away from this idea of like hearing from God because God wants to speak into situations that are part of your daily life, and God is always there for you. Do not doubt that, brothers and sisters. Father, one of the I think most difficult times in life where that gets put to the test is around the moment of death and around a loved one who's dying. I think that there's probably, you've probably heard how many times. Where is God? Why would God let this happen? God couldn't be involved, and I even wonder whether there is a God.
0: Mm-hmm. It's certainly, depending upon the circumstances too, um, and the level of faith. But yes, that's you know, it's one of those. It's an inevitable. Actually, to say common doesn't to, to diminish it, but it's it's a frequent um, pastoral reality.
1: So, Father, uh, one of the things that I've I've said, I said this to Father Lewis, and I'll say it to you, is that. In the ordinary course of our daily lives, we're able to maintain a certain degree of, um, of propriety. Um, we're able to keep on, <clears throat> we're able to uphold a sense of um, politeness and, and kindness and, and make room for each other and all that. Well, when the pressure and temperature go up in the room, when there's more at stake, uh, all of a sudden the capacity we have to maintain that sense of propriety it just diminishes. It decays, and all of a sudden, some of the brokennesses, some of the toxic aspects, some of the lack of reconciliation that happens—that that, that is part of a a history in family—it mm-hmm. starts to show up. How, how do you um, help families when you step into or you're this is this is your role? You get brought into circumstances where here you are in the midst of a family, looking at the loved one who's dying. And there is this cacophony, this frenzy, this uh, confusion, this uh, uh, you know, this this completely different approaches to how do you love well this one in front of you. How have you experienced that, and what have what are some of the things that you've done to help guide families in that circumstance?
0: Well, not I mean, not to, to shirk or try to avoid, but. And also, not necessarily to make you speak things you're not comfortable speaking, but I do think it, de- you know, depends. It depends. It is, it is not a cop out here in terms of what, what the key is at this point. Okay, this person's uh, approaching this ultimate moment of. We can use the word particular judgment here. This is this is going to be. This is the culmination of a lifetime. And I, the important data is okay. What's this person's position? in terms of faith? Uh, is this person himself, herself needs to have some, you know, again, um, encounter with Christ at this point? I mean, what's what's that person's? And then, wh- what are the other people in the room, uh, when I say the room, I mean the family, uh, the people who are the, the people at the bedside or on the phone or in the house, what is their relationship to the faith? And as you say, also their relationship to one another. Be- and then also, what what are the concerns are they spiritual concerns are they uh, moral uh, theology concerns in terms of what's right to do for this person in terms of health decisions so i I, I guess I, I would need to know all of those things to f- sort of figure out okay what's the approach what
1: sure. all right well I'll make it I'll make it utterly personal and just kind of lay it out so um over a week ago my dad did make um, a confession and was anointed and received viaticum so. Mm. Um, So spiritually, he came out of that experience very much at peace, um, very much saying that he feels that sense of communion with the Lord. Um, He is deeply devoted to the Blessed Mother and praying the rosary every day. Um, He's been a a man of Catholic faith, you know, um, from the time he got married, you know, 60, over 60 years ago. So from the standpoint of what's his disposition towards um, what happens after death, he, he knows he's going to go meet God, meet the Lord, and he's going to face a judgment, but he feels peaceful. And I don't think he, like, he doesn't use our language, like, I'm ready and I can't wait to meet my maker kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that part, let's check the box. Right. Um, the challenge becomes when I have, like, so here I am saying, what do we do with the time that remains? And the medical professionals say, he has less than a week to live. Mm-hmm. However, he doesn't show like the immediate signs that that's the case. And so it has to do with his heart that is going to fail. It could fail literally in this minute. It could fail at the next meal because his heart is that weak and fragile. Mm. And so that also diminishes the, the capacity that his body has to maintain certain functioning and to ward off certain um, troubles he has with his lungs filling up with fluids. Uh, so he has COPD. Yeah, he has... Yeah. A congestive heart failure, right? So right. those are the things that are going to end his life is one of those two things, either the distress from the fluid filling the lungs or the heart failing. So so there's a, there's a degree of not knowing, but the medical professionals have said he's got a week. Okay, so now we are here talking with him and he'll come out saying, I don't want to see anybody who's coming to visit me to say their goodbyes because I'm not dying.
0: Mm, okay.
1: And I'm like, wait a minute where did you get that kind of like idea? And, and so he's actually pushed away more than one person who wanted to come and visit him, knowing he's going to be dying in the next week. Mm. Um, and so, uh, so there's that. And then on the other hand, you have him saying, I've got this vision for developing this big new, like approach to overcoming this, um, like this, this uh, medical condition, and I've got specific insights into it. And I want to develop it and launch it into these different educational environments. So he, that's his—he's very visionary and entrepreneurial, innovative. Right, right. That's how he's lived his life. He's
0: going to solve the problem.
1: And so he's going to solve some problem. And I have at least one sibling, if not two, of my of my four siblings, like saying that's so exciting. We want to support you in that and all of that. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is that really the messaging we ought to be saying to him if, in fact, the medical professionals say that he's not going to be around in a week? Shouldn't we be having meaningful conversations with him, surrounded by family members and, and not having that conflict? Shouldn't we just have him point more towards focus on the Lord and develop that relationship so that the grace of the nearness of heaven will come upon him and he'll be able to surrender all of that? And there's a sense of saying, no, if he wants to talk about that stuff, that's what we should be doing. Stay positive and optimistic and not talk about death.
0: It's an interesting... uh, First, I'll say, is your mother still living? I forget. No, six years ago, she died. Right, right. And there's a
1: story around that too, but there there you go.
0: Okay, so she's not... I was just wondering, you know, that's sometimes a dynamic too. Uh, Kids versus other spouse, but okay, I'm sorry, I forgot. Um, It's interesting there. Do you think... Do you think this, you know, he, he has this new vision, he's going to solve this problem, he has some brilliant ideas, etc., he wants to talk about, he's excited about these. Is this, is there any mental um, deterioration or is this pure denial, do you think?
1: So the funny thing is, is that, you know, he'll, the, the, the counter line is everybody's dying and of course I'm going to die someday, but not today. And so my life could extend out, and then the question is, what's that horizon looking like? So it's not so much mental diminishment, though there is a, a bit of that. But he doesn't have dementia. He doesn't. He can have ordinary conversations and talk about, you know, at pretty much any topic. Uh-huh. So it's not that.
0: I guess what what's your vision of what you hope would happen? I, I, you sort of share this, I think that that he would be there and he would be able to receive everybody. And so there's two, I think there's two pieces here in some ways, it, you know, again, it, at least in my vision, if not yours, uh, maybe this, this is, so again, this is me, but okay. He would, two things. One of which, as we just talked about, he would be able to offer up this suffering for his family, his reconciliation memory. You know, he would just be recognizing that um, I'm about ready to experience this judgment, but I am suffering and in the suffering I am, I'm still, uh, I'm still spiritually active, and I'm, i I am a protagonist, and I am somebody who's initiating, not in these sort of entrepreneurial ways, but spiritually. I'm taking my suffering, I'm offering it for my family and my loved ones, the world. And in some sense, that I, I'm still, I, I'm, I'm running through the tape here, um, that I'm going to continue to. And, and again, I think the closer you get to death, in the sense of the, the, the reality of that, I think again the power of your prayer and your your self-sacrifice offering just kind of continues to grow. This is a bonus time, so to speak, um, where where great graces are available simply because of what's at stake and how close you are to the reality of God. So there's that piece that maybe if I was there, I'd say that would be a beautiful thing to have happening. So
1: the the interesting thing is I have not mentioned that specific aspect. So that's a different line of conversation.
0: So that's what I think one of the things I would do in terms of helping him, saying, you know, Dad... You, you know that you're very serious. the doctors are saying you're going to die here pretty soon. you're going to meet your maker, you're going to achieve this. That in, in your suffering, just trying to breathe, you know there's just could you make could you offer that for us? Uh, you know could you could just recognize and is there prayers that we could do together that you could add your this suffering that you're experiencing with your heart and things, This is a great chance for us just to improve as a family if you could do that with us. Again, that might be some ways where it's it's sort of s- sidetracking whether you're going to talking about his actual death and stuff. But you're using that, and he you're getting him in spirit, into the spiritual life and world again um, as the patriarch and the father. You say, "Hey, there's there's opportunities here, guys. Just the suffering here um, that, that's taking place uh, at your bedside that we we could be part of that way."
1: Well, oh, and I love that. I think that requires a degree of spiritual maturity and active faith on the part of like all of the siblings to get on board with that because I love it. And it's like, oh gosh, that, that sounds like a, a missing piece that I'm going to bring to the table. The The greater challenge is that I have at least two siblings who are saying, if you mention that to dad, you're just going to speed his death and you're being a terrible kid. You're being a terrible son to him because you are um, discouraging him and not giving him a sense of a horizon that has hope to it. And I'm like, well, that's an illusory hope because right. he is dying. But that's where you have those disagreements.
0: Yeah, you know, I in that approach, I guess one of my principles is the person has a right to know they're dying. Um, so and I, I don't think that's is the issue here because I think that the medical people have told him. and But I, I don't, I, I, I think I'm really against the idea that Okay, the person. Let's keep the person from knowing he/she's dying because that would be upsetting. As opposed to, so this person can prepare for death. Now you've said this that your dad already has prepared for death in the sacramental sense. um, That yes, he's he's received the graces the church offers at this time, etc. At least the basic ones. Um, And so, in some sense, there's some denial here, but it's deep down he he's been told. and so the, the the biggest problem is out of the way in the sense that I've, I've known families, they'll never say that, they'll never mention that at all. And the fellow, let's say it's a man, he, he, the doctors don't even say it. They don't, he doesn't know how close he is. And I think that's very unfair to the person. Uh, if Again, if, especially if this is a person of faith, if, this is a chance that he needs to have. Now, in terms of what, as you described it, um, I think there's two things. Um one is it may be that these other two people or I don't know the siblings may not be on board spiritually in terms of wanting to gather around and and you know again pray a rosary with the suffering your dad involved or whatever. But I think you one on one with him um could could say hey you know what this there is a chance here that um you know there's we siblings, you know your children we and grandchildren we have issues um, I would really love a dad if you could just help us pray for this reconciliation of this growth or this movement and, and that we need in our lives right now. Um, and add this prayer to this the suffering that you you are experiencing and, and the suffering we're experiencing watching you suffer. And could we gather this and could you just remember us in your prayers that way, Dad? And and I'd like to do that um, you know, with me with me present and and anybody else wants to be in some sort of prayer form. I don't know. Not no, this de- is good, Father. But I'm not sorry, necessarily God. saying directly. <laughs> with everybody present. Okay, dad, you're dying. I mean, it could be tomorrow, it could be today, we don't know, but let's let's squeeze everything out of you because you're about ready to go. I don't think that's necessary. Um because I'm not sure I think you're going to get the spiritual benefit from him and for him in just again trying to turn this suffering into something um that's God directed. Uh in the sense of it's it's, it's something that's a positive, it's something that's that's life-giving and fruitful against the 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 paradox of the cross that he's experiencing now. I do think in terms of, I don't know, are there people in your family who are not of the faith at all, and so they're disparaging that whole element of it. They're saying, you know, well, this is an illusory thing that you're trying to do, Tom.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. We're actually up against a break, Father. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. Welcome back to the program. Father Nagel just left me with a question about sort of people's disposition. And the interesting thing is, is that you could say people have some faith. Like they say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I'm a Catholic. Uh, Yet at the same time, when it comes to the idea that my daddy is dying, all of a sudden, like the, the concept that faith is driving the approach and the vision is just washed away. Right? So that the strength of one's faith really comes out into the open in those moments. Right. So... Um, Let me say one of the things that has happened is that you mentioned, hey, come to him by himself and and talk to him in a one-on-one circumstance. And unfortunately, that's happened as well in a way that people have shared their own perspective on his death with him. So he's left with a sort of confusing mix of how soon his death is and what he ought to be spending time on. But here's the second thing. And and by the way, we we had a two and a half hour family meeting when I was out there. Uh, and then over Zoom afterwards, to say, what do we think about our dad's health condition? How soon will he die? And what messaging should we have when we speak to him about it? So we spent two and a half hours just answering those two questions. And mm-hmm. it was it was a, a challenging conversation, but we got through it. What happened, unfortunately, was it wasn't abided by afterwards. And so that, because it, you know, it's, in non-ordinary circumstances, it's very easy to speak in a way that is more bent on the emotion in the moment rather than, oh yeah, wait a minute, how do I say this in accord with what we all agreed to? So but the second part is, if someone believes that my dad can last a lot longer, then the idea of using certain medications, like medications associated with hospice, like morphine, mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden there is a radical disagreement around the use of those medications because one would say well he is dying he's close to death and this is appropriate hospice gave them to us so that he can be comfortable and he actually can help overcome the the, the challenges that he's facing medically versus that is that's a drug that is going to bring him on a downward slope towards death immediately why would we do that so all of a sudden the use of medications in addressing his diminishing condition, becomes front and center a big, huge battle on what's the best way to love our Father right now.
0: I think there's so I see two two different areas here. If you have meet, two minutes, Father. Oh, okay. Well, um, well then I, I I guess I come down on the side. Hey, you don't if this, you don't force Dad to. He said it's cruel. I would I would even use this it, to cause pain when the doctors themselves have said this. Um, we can't do that. Um, that we have to be, we have to be adults in the room. We know what the medical condition is. The doctors are the experts, um, that dad should not have to suffer. I, I want the suffering to be fruitful, but I don't want the suffering, um, to the extent that we can. So we have to take care of dad and not be cruel to him and give him pain that he, It's not going to be fruitful. Second one would simply be, I'd ask you, Tom, just as the sense of, it sounds like your dad's okay in terms of spiritual, his relationship with God. It, what's happening now is um, you're talking about the last minutes and things, but, but I, I would also see the, the, the advantage of I've got to manage these sibling relationships for the next 20 or 30 years as well and to try to have some compassion for the other peoples who are maybe delusioned uh, or whatever, but to recognize my dad's basically okay in God's eyes. My siblings may not be. How can I, in the long term, be there for them? I have, to, I have to tend my relationships with them too, which means I might not get everything I want.
1: That's a great point. I love that. And I hadn't really given a lot of focus on that. But literally during our conversation, I started wondering is there really that much at stake if I let my dad have these visions for a future right, that right. is never yeah. going to be yeah. true? That's right. a great right. point. Here's the last thing, and I'll just throw this out as we're leaving the door. Um, you and I are in agreement. We look to the medical professionals to give guidance around what his actual condition is and how long he has. What about when you have siblings who say, medical professionals are just in it for the money, they don't know our father, and we don't believe their guidance?
0: I would say they're going to find out pretty soon that the medical profession is pretty correct on most of these things, but not to try to... They're dealing, dealing with their own hurts and loss. And I, as long as the guy can get the pain reliever, I, I went fight against the medical idea.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm not saying, no, that's not me, but I'm saying. No, that no, that's, I know, yeah. I know. So, um, okay, well, great. Well, Father, thank you. This was a, a really great conversation. I do appreciate it on both topics, very important topics. I hope that it was a blessing to you folks. God bless you. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.